0: What I expected
1: was a sort of meditation and an escape and uh, just a, an ability to be
0: with myself without any sort of distraction whatsoever.
1: My first float, when I came out of it, I was feeling as though I was uh, in, uh, you know, day three of a 10-day meditation. It's nice to be kind of like in your own own space and not have any any external things going on around you. Um, Someone related it to being in a mother's womb. My body kept trying to fall asleep in the float tank and it was kind of awful. This calmness within, this sense of everything being okay, that makes sense. The more anxiety you have, the more benefit you would get, but I think anybody can benefit from it. I think it'd be really cool to take psychedelics and go in there. (laughs) From Outface Productions, this is Listening Glass. What are we talking about today, Robin? As I was exploring this one, I ran into so many other topics, such as the way that we process our own emotions, such as anxiety and stress. thought about meditation, psychedelia, sleep. I even thought about some darker things and came across some darker stuff about torture and madness. Whoa. So today's topic is actually what some people call a float tank, also known as a sen- sensory deprivation tank. And nice. Yeah. This was kind of a new one for me. I've heard about them for a long time and i finally got around to not just researching it a little bit but also experiencing one firsthand and so that's what we're going to talk about today is just kind of getting into the the kind of firsthand experience and also a little bit of the research behind it and we'll talk to some friends about their experiences with it as well
0: excellent yeah i i was uh, stoked when you brought this up as a potential topic because uh, i've actually done my first floats in recent years so oh. this is also something i was always curious about and yeah just recently took the plunge literally and i really really enjoyed it so i'm definitely
1: stoked to share my thoughts and my experiences nice so you have deeper history with it then
0: yeah i mean i wouldn't call myself like a, a veteran or heavily experienced user, but I have floated I would I think three times. Okay. That's three and times
1: as many as I have. <laughs> so far.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. Highly, highly recommended for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. So All right.
0: but yeah, I'd I'd love to hear, you know, it sounds like you've really dug deep on this one. So I'd love to hear what all you have unearthed.
1: All right, so let's just start with the basics. Uh, Maybe the fullest term we could use to refer to this, aside from float tank or sensory deprivation tank, is flotation REST. And REST is actually an acronym, and it stands for Reduced Environmental Stimulation Therapy. Or the T can also stand for technique. And so that whole idea is just reducing the sensory input into your mind. So just from that launching point, I think it's, it makes sense to start with the senses and think about the way we operate on a moment to moment basis with our senses as our guide. And this is just like fundamental stuff, right? Like Right now, you the listener, you're listening to us through your earbuds. And so if we were going to ask you to deprive yourself, we'd say, take your earbuds out, but don't do that. You keep listening to the show. In our room, we could do something like this, like just shut our door, shut our windows, turn off the light, try to just get things as quiet and calm as we can. We could go lie on our bed. The thing about lying on our beds is that every time we move, we can feel our bodies in the bed, and we also feel the pressure of the bed pushing up against our bodies in an uneven way. Like, I usually feel like a little arch in my back, like my butt's pushing down more and my shoulders, and like, there's all there's this texture of the bed sheets. And there's also usually some kind of temperature difference, right? The goal of sensory deprivation chambers is to take away as much sensory input as possible. And so we covered some of like the, the five basic senses. And the I looked into this and there's like so many other senses that the sensory deprivation tank tries to eliminate. Hmm, other, other than the five basic yeah, senses? You yeah, mean? yeah, yeah. So, wow. okay, so for like, I, this was, you gave me a quiz about Kratom, so I'll give you one. About senses. (laughs) Oh, sweet. All right. This is kind of on the fly here. But, I mean, first of all, maybe a basic question is what what do you think any other senses would be, or do you know of any?
0: Um, Aside from like,
1: let's see. Yeah. Well, is that that
0: mythical sixth sense, right? Expand. Um, Which
1: you can see with your third eye. Uh. (laughs) All right. You know, Um, John C. Lele might be there with you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. But um,
0: yeah, I, you know, to be honest, racking my brain, I really don't, I can't conceptualize what another sense would be. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. like, uh, like an electromagnetic sense, Mm -hmm. or maybe the sense of time right it's like oh, the fourth dimension so maybe it's the sixth sense
1: very good yeah time is one i didn't expect and it actually is listed um oh nice one. yeah okay. it's called cool. chronoception chronoception isn't that what fun a word. <laughs> so there's like depending on how you count them and kind of draw the lines or or cut the hairs there are somewhere between like 14 and 21 senses. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. So touch is actually one that consists of a lot of different senses. Um, and I think they divide that up based on how your nervous system inputs them. One example is like hot and cold are actually considered two different senses because there's two different types of, of sensors that pick those signals mm. up.
0: That's interesting, though, because people often confuse hot with cold, right? Yeah.
1: I agree. Like, at at extremes. Sometimes if you you very suddenly feel something really cold, it can feel really hot. Right. Yep. I agree. So maybe there's some crossing of wires there. But some others related to touch would be pain, itching. The sense of needing to pee is sometimes considered its own sense. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
0: bladder sense?
1: Yeah. I guess, you know, in that sense, like, maybe even... Uh, Like senses of hunger and thirst, but I would think uh, satiety or or whether or not you feel full or
0: Mm. Mm
1: -hmm. that would be one. But some of the more like down to earth ones are actually like ones called proprioception, which is your sense of movement um, and how your body parts relate to one another. Mm. So you're and they're built into your muscles. So anytime you kind of like flex your arm or open it. There's senses, senses built into those muscles that tell you where that arm, what position the arm's in and whether or not it's moving. So that's, you know, fundamental to like any kind of movement we do or physical activity. Another one, I, you, you've kind of brushed along this one in your, per, in your own life with uh, equilibrioception, which is your sense of being upright. And it mm. is determined by so. the vestibular system in the inner ear. So, if anyone's ever had vertigo, that's, that's, you know, if that gets tweaked or messed up, then your equilibrio pep, equilibrioception is, has been tampered with and is off and it's terrible.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So, what Robin's referring to here obliquely is that last year I had a bout of vertigo, which was spontaneous, which lasted about three weeks. And boy, did it ever mess up my world. Mm-hmm. I mean, You don't realize how much you take for granted just basic things like your perception of which way is up
1: Mm -hmm. until
0: it is forcibly removed from you. Mm -hmm.
1: And I saw you go through that, and it looked agonizing (laughs) and terrible. Yeah, it it was
0: the the sickest I've ever
1: been, for sure. mm
0: -hmm. So yeah, hot tip, don't get vertigo. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) So those are the senses. That's what we're trying to get rid of. And the whole idea is... It's, you want to see what your mind does without all of that. And those often Mm. lead to, it can be a chain of distraction, right? So I hear my phone buzz, even at, let's say I'm meditating in my room or in my bed. And I hear my phone buzz instantly. I might speculate about who it is and I might even speculate about what they said. And then I would speculate about what it means. And then here I am on this like whole chain of thought It's fun to see what your mind does when it doesn't have anything to kind of trip you and do a line of thought. That's the premise. And let's just jump into some brief history quick. This was first invented in 1957 by two doctors in Oklahoma City at a veteran's hospital. And that was Dr. John C. Lilly, who turns out is pretty famous in this kind of stuff. Um, And then another guy named Dr. J. Shirley. And do you by the way, do you know who Dr. John C. Lilly is, Arjuna? Have you ever heard of him?
0: Okay, so this is gonna be the weirdest reference ever, but <laughs> the only time I've heard his name was in an Oysterhead song. Really? Um, yeah. Oh and man. For those of you who don't know, Oysterhead is the super group composed of uh Les Claypool, the bassist from Primus, mm-hmm. playing with um Trey Anastasio, the lead singer and guitarist from Fish, mm-hmm. and also the drama from the police. Uh, why can't I remember his name right now? Um, that, that's
1: an Arjuna question. <laughs> Stu,
0: yeah, Stuart Copeland.
1: So, anyway, I've never yeah. listened to them. It's funny because I've, I've listened to a fair, fair amount of Les Claypool, but yeah, do you recommend?
0: Um, it's it's a weird project. But it's actually all coming together for me now, Robin, because the song is called Oz Is Always Floating. Mm. And I had never put it together that they were talking about floating, like this kind of floating. Yes. In a, in a tank. It's so, all coming together. So yeah, so little hot take there. If you guys want to hear an exceptionally weird song, <laughs> just, or, or an exceptionally weird group for that matter, just go check out Oysterhead. Oz is always floating. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, they made a reference to John C. Lilly. Doctor John C. Lily.
1: And I know nothing else about him. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a lot more to know, it turns out. Um, I didn't do in-depth research into this guy, but I just watched some brief YouTube interviews, and he was frequently mentioned. Like when I would bring it up to other people, they would some people would name drop Dr. They would just say John C. Lilly. But this mm. guy was he was hanging out with like Tim Leary, like Beat poets, and kind of like the whole like psychedelia crowd from this the sixties and seventies. I wouldn't be surprised sure. if he was like hanging out with Albert Hoffman and people like that so sure, so sure. and this guy did some really far out stuff not and and like he was a doctor, but a lot of people in the medical profession were like, "Oh, this guy's like, uh, this isn't really science like <laughs> but he was really <laughs> interested in consciousness, so this was one of his ways of exploring it was just to see, well, you know, so much of what accounts for subjective experience is what we're exposed to in our setting. And so if we take as much of that away as we can, then we should be able to get some insight into the mind and how it works. And that we did. Um, (laughs) It's pretty wild, actually, how rooted the human mind is in senses and how much it actually depends on them day to day. And to kind of keep our own orientation in the world. We'll, we'll later see how that, not how it works, but we'll, we'll see how that can kind of unravel. Mm. He's an interesting dude. Aside from sensory deprivation tanks, he also did a lot of experimentation with drugs and communicating with dolphins. Like, if you've ever, ever heard of people experimenting with communicating with dolphins, he was like the main guy doing that. Really? Um, and ha- was involved in some really controversial experiments um, with with that, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I, that might have I, to be a future episode. I have to episode. wonder
0: if the experimentation with drugs led to the experimentation with dolphins. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It seems like a linear progression there.
1: Well, in a way, it's it does make sense because he was, if being interested in consciousness, um, obviously humans aren't the only ones that have consciousness. And so mm. if you wanted to learn more about consciousness itself and not just the human mind, then you might want to gain insight into other organisms. And he did a lot of work trying to communicate with them. And um, that's about as far as I know. I've heard some other salacious details, but I won't get into them because I don't know that much about it. But if you're a bored listener and you want some interesting reading or videos or something, maybe look up Dr. John C. Lilly and and dolphins. (laughs) Anyway, let's just kind of get into our own um, experiences with it. Actually, more on the history there was invented in 1957. Their tanks were kind of crude at the beginning. They were described as vertical, but the pictures I've seen is people stomach down in water. And they had basically scuba gear on so that they could breathe. And that was about all there was to it. it was probably warmed so they didn't feel cold water. Um, and then in the seventies, there were innovations made where salt was added to the water so that you were more buoyant and it would keep, it would push you enough out of the water, make you buoyant enough that it wasn't difficult to keep your eyes and mouth and nose out of the water. Mm, and mm-hmm. so that's the, that's a really handy thing. You don't want it in your eyes or mouth or, or nose of course, but the extra buoyancy really helps, um, just with comfort. And it's actually bizarrely buoyant. When I got in the tank, I, it kind of threw me off. When I, I like kind of crab walked in, and then when I lifted my hands and feet from the floors of the tank, the the buoyancy I felt like it almost shot me up. It was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> it like threw me off.
0: Yeah, it's it's a sensation that one is definitely not used to, right? Mm-hmm unless i don't know maybe if you regularly swim in the great salt lake or something then then you know how it feels but uh, mm-hmm. it, it is yeah it's it's almost like a brush with anti-gravity
1: right right so yeah you you and it, the cool thing about the water is that it's putting pressure every part of your body the lower half of your body that's touching the water it, it's equal pressure and so you don't really feel much sensation there um if you move while you're in the tank, you might feel the water kind of slosh a little bit along your sides, but that's really the only thing you'll feel because they, they try to get the temperature of the water between 92 and 93 degrees, and that's the temperature of your skin typically. And so you shouldn't mm. feel any heat transfer in or out or hot or cold.
0: Yeah, isn't that, isn't that interesting how a body temperature is what? It's 98.6 Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. and I've always found it interesting that the... That temperature, which feels comfortable when we're in stasis outside our body, is actually lower.
1: Right, because we're always putting heat off, right? Mm. And mm-hmm. so, if you if you change that, and we're not putting any heat off, because we wouldn't be. If you were in ninety eight point six degree water, you wouldn't be losing heat to the water, and you yeah. would start to overheat, and your body would feel that. It would it would get. Yeah, that is interesting though. There's this kind of yeah this rate at which you're used to losing heat that feels like the normal state. Mm-hmm. So,
0: sure. yeah, it makes me think like if you spent an extended amount of time in in an environment like that, your body would probably adjust, but I imagine it wouldn't happen within the space of an hour or right, something. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, that's that's the tank. There's many different designs of these. Some of them are little rooms basically where it's a room and the floor is a swimming pool that's just a little bit wider than say, actually a little less wide. If you were to stretch your arms out to your sides, it would touch both sides just by a few inches. And then um, there's maybe a few inches above your head and below your feet. So you have a little bit of leeway. Let's jump into our own experiences with sensory deprivation. I've, I first wanna know what you expected what you thought walking into it when you did your, your first float or even your subsequent floats.
0: Mm, yeah. So I had heard a little bit about it, sensory deprivation. I mean, the, first, the very first thing that came to my mind, and this was back in the day, you know, before I'd heard anything about how people actually do it, I thought of solitary confinement. mm um as as like a form of sensory deprivation right mm-hmm. but it seems to me like solitary confinement confinement is really about it's about being alone it's about being in the dark so your sense of uh, your visual sense is robbed of you mm-hmm. and there's really not much going on right so in that sense you're not hearing much either but but you're not it, there's not necessarily a concerted effort being made to rob you of your senses so much as it is to just sequester you from everything else in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then I when I started actually talking to people who had floated, you know, it, it, my impression of it was that it was kind of like uh, something that was popular with the burner crowd, maybe, you know uh, some something that like... Uh, hippies and naturalists and yeah people who attend festivals and burning man and stuff's kind of in that segment uh it's a popular thing in -hmm. you know uh, um, among those cultures not that it's not popular with other people but that's where i was exposed to it Mm -hmm. yeah so then i to be honest i was a little worried about just going into theta brainwaves while floating in water Mm. because, you know, naturally, like you do, your mind uh, turns to thinking about falling asleep in water and drowning. Mm. So I was a little bit concerned about that, but, you know, I I trusted that that was a problem that had been solved Mm -hmm. (laughs) or that that it wasn't a problem. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so then when I went... For my first float, it was in Portland, a really cool place that that just opened up uh, probably in, I want to say it was 2017 in Portland. Yeah, really nice place. And the room that I went was, I went into the open tank, which appealed to me. So, you know, these tanks come in, in, I mean, many sizes and shapes and, and flavors, but a big distinction is that some of them are closed. They have like a lid that seals you in. And then there are other ones where it's just the entire room is dark and and so it's interesting how the entire room is actually functioning as the tank mm-hmm. and the float the the pool you're in is just part of it right so so I really liked this the open tank by the way, because I suffer from claustrophobia mm-hmm. and so it was really good for me psychologically knowing that I was going into uh pool that i could escape if i needed to Mm
1: -hmm. this show is sponsored by megan Brandenburg design your brand illuminated does your project or business need a more cohesive visual identity do your marketing materials need pizzazz megan is your go-to she also offers apparel design product packaging design and motion graphics megan worked with us to design the listening glass logo and we love the stunning result Megan is on Instagram at Megan Brandenburg Design. Find the full link in the episode description. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, do, do you want me to, like, get into the
0: experience of my first actual time?
1: Maybe what I'll do, I'll talk about what I expected. So, and then... We nice, can kinda, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so we can talk about what we both expected and then what we both experienced and then any, like, After Effects together as well. Nice. Um, Sounds good. So, my... I hadn't done a lot of research before I did it. This was kind of like, I think I'll do a show on float tanks and I'll just do a float tank first and then do some homework afterward. And the last time, I think the main way I'd been introduced to them or heard about them was through people who were interested from this angle of being interested in consciousness. And so people who were Mm. like, you know, psychonauts or something like people who would experiment with psychedelics and drugs and, and they were curious about what it would teach them about their, their mind. And so I always thought of it as something like that, where I would go in, I might have this kind of novel experience. Um, I've heard, I'd heard reports of people basically hallucinating or having kind of psychedelic experiences in float tanks before. So I didn't really believe that uh, that was going to happen because I've, done a fair amount of meditation and such and i don't usually approach that kind of state <laughs> it's kind of like mundane <laughs> really but but relaxing and so that was my main idea going in was like ah eh, should be interesting um i'm just i was kind of open minded you know and yeah that didn't really have many expectations aside from i might kind of get a little otherworldly in there not much beyond that so 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 yeah you weren't
0: expecting any full-on acid flashbacks or anything like that
1: (laughs) i wasn't really no but i I was expecting to maybe i had a slight expectation that my imagination might be very vivid or that Mm. um Mm -hmm. i don't know i I just don't know beyond that it was pretty pretty like blank expectations really yeah tell us some notes from your experiences
0: sure okay So yeah, so the first time I floated, I went to a place in Portland, and it had just opened up. And you know, it's kind of like uh, coming more into the mainstream now. And so you're seeing these little, these float places popping up all over the country, and maybe the world as well. So I went to a, a hip new one in downtown Portland, and really nice place. And I was excited because... The the first one that I went into turned out to be an open tank, so that really appealed to me because I have claustrophobia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just I was had a slight trepidation about like stepping into a tank and kind of having it close on top of me and not being able to escape or anything like that. Yeah, so I went in and I took a shower, which is something you have to do before you get in, and then I. Climbed into the water, and the, the, it was very cool. The room had motion-sensing lights, so it could kind of tell when you were in the tank, and then it, the light slowly dimmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, it was definitely a bit of a disorienting experience to to climb into water that is so buoyant. Mm-hmm. And basically, as I understand it, they, they completely saturate the water with salt. Okay. Right? Is is that? Is, does that match your understanding? That's a great as well? question.
1: Meaning they get as much salt as the water will hold in there. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah they
0: dissolve the maximum amount. I, I haven't I think, actually
1: run into that exact term, but that totally makes sense to me. That that, yeah, that, that would be I, the case. I think mm-hmm. that
0: that's what they do. And so, um, so yeah, so it's incredibly buoyant. I mean, as soon as you kind of lay into the water. As soon as you raise your feet off of the bottom, you're immediately floating. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's funny, it takes a moment to adjust. Like, I immediately noticed the tension I was holding in my neck.
1: Mm, Yep.
0: Because, and I think this is something in general, like, where we're so used to holding our heads up all the time. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And we're also used to having a pillow under our heads when we lie down. And so that, that was really one of the first things that I realized was, man, I'm really feeling like I need to keep my head up. And I think part of it was like a survival instinct totally. as well, right? Because you're floating in water and yeah. you don't want to drown.
1: And the, the head so, does go back at a kind of unnatural angle when you're totally right. relaxed. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a, a little navigation that I had to go through, which which I would imagine any first timer will experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you like uh, get over that? Were you able to like let go and like relax? I, and I not did. think about it. Okay.
0: Yeah, I did, and it, it coincided. I mean, the rest of my body was also doing a navigation. It, you know, you kind of it's like your muscles take a minute to relax. You take a minute to just suss out, mm-hmm. like. And, and again, I think there's so much programming around being in water, right? We're used to treading water. We're used to mm-hmm. really maintaining our awareness around how afloat we are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a very basic interaction that we have with being submerged in water. And so mm-hmm. the rules really change when you're doing this.
1: I agreed. And I, I have maybe a little anxiety around water too. So I think there was, it took mm. me a while. There was the kind of break-in period for me where I had to kind of willfully relax and just like let go. But I was a little antsier than I thought I was going to be when I first got in Mm. there. Mm -hmm. The place I went to here in Eugene, they have these uh, foam rings in there that you can position under the back of your head.
0: Oh, right. That gives you
1: just a more natural angle. And I I actually tried it without for a couple of minutes just to see if I would adapt. And it just felt... I, I didn't wait longer than that because it didn't feel very comfortable to me. I wasn't able to relax. And may, I think if I'd given it more time, I would have been able to. But I ended yeah. up just using the ring. And you can feel a little, like, it. you can feel it on the back of your head just slightly. But it's not obtrusive. So like anything else, if you're being, like, lightly touched by it over time, the sensation kind of goes away. But that I found that to be kind of helpful to, like, settle into the experience a little more. Mm, agreed. It might not be, like, the purest experience.
0: Yeah, I'd forgotten about that, but I also used that. Listening class. So the next thing that I experienced was, yeah, once I once I managed to navigate the whole physical body thing and staying alive and and safety and all that, which took probably took about 10 minutes for me to really just surrender into the experience and start to get curious about what was next. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so once I did that, um, then I just really, you know, I focused on my breathing a bit and focused on trying to get myself into the dead center of the tank so I could spread out and hopefully not be touching anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And from there, it was, I have to say, it really was a fascinating feeling of just an expansion into curiosity. Like mm. I think that often our only experiences, our only regular experiences in life of of anything like a, a surrender into sensory deprivation are usually when we're trying to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you just you kind of lie in your bed and you just try to let the day fade away. And depending on how well you sleep, you might only be in a, in a kind of a receptive and passing out of consciousness state for, you know, maybe just a minute mm-hmm. or a couple of minutes, right? And what happened to me was that I found that I relatively quickly slipped into that state where it's almost like I was falling asleep, right? But I wasn't actually asleep, yeah. Yep, and this is I've heard this state described, you know, people talk about like theta brainwave state. Uh, it probably has some other other technical terms as well, but it did feel like a very twilight, it mm-hmm. was like the twilight of my consciousness.
1: Were you like quasi dreaming? Was there imagery?
0: No, so mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Like, I think that I skipped, I actually felt like it was very nullifying of my consciousness. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I, mean, of course, you know, from time to time during the experience, thoughts would pop up and I would think about them and then they would pass by. But I would say that when, yeah, when I was really surrendered to the experience and when I was really most deeply in it, I felt like I was just barely conscious and it actually felt like my mind kind of shut down
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. and I really liked that actually and I think maybe one of the reasons I went there and one of the reasons I liked it is that that really is that state is compelling to me Mm -hmm. like you know my mind has so much chatter and I, I tend to get overstimulated quite easily. I'm a, a fairly sensitive person. Yeah. And so for me, that kind of respite from all of that was uh really appealing. And it, it kind of makes me wonder if that's why my my consciousness went there. It was kind of like, ooh, this is this is a juicy opportunity to just not have that going on. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. So it's interesting. You're like, I think what you're talking about for me is this like really early stage of entering sleep. And for me, there's maybe three stages I can identify. And the first is what you're talking about, where you're really like, you're sleepy, you're tired, but your thoughts are like mostly slowed down. There's a little bit of like rambling, but you just feel really relaxed physically. And then the second stage is. Where the the thoughts seem to kind of take on a life of their own, and it gets a little mm-hmm. more dreamy, yeah. but not a full on dream experience, where you're not visualizing things, but suddenly it's it's like your thoughts become characters, and it's <laughs> it's a very brief period. I think it's only like yeah. a couple to a few minutes, and usually we're not even really aware of it unless we kind of get jostled out of it, and we're like, oh my, like oh, I was kind of like getting swept away there in this weird little like storyland. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And then the next stage is when it gets more imagery to it. And there is a term for that called hypnagogic imagery, where you you start to, and that's where it gets more dreamlike, is it's this first dream state, and you're actually like in the movie palace of your mind. And it's not, I think it's different than dream states maybe later and later stages of sleep, but there's a lot more. There's imagery involved. I I also experienced yeah, all three degrees of that in my float. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool.
1: Um, right in so the middle. You, about. you
0: went to the very furthest reaches of of being conscious before being unconscious. Yeah.
1: And I think I might have even fallen asleep for about one minute. It was really brief. Mm, okay. Um I, I don't even think so actually. I think it was just, you know, really in there in that kind of like imagery you know, kind of getting swept away into dreamland a little bit. And then I snapped out of it and felt really wakeful for the rest of the time without mm. having to try. And I had I'd been struggling with the sleepy feelings and, and sleepy thoughts for it's like 6 p.m., right? <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> but once I snapped out of it, I felt pretty alert and energetic, but also like mentally, but my body felt very relaxed. So. But wh- tell us more about where you went with that, like sleepy level. What happened from there?
0: Yeah. Well. So let's see. Yeah, I was probably also in that state for maybe twenty minutes to half an hour. It's interesting how similar our arcs were because I did at some point come out of it mm. and reach a level of of alertness, like you're talking about, and that that was the maybe the most profound parts of the experience for me because i i had a number of moments where i thought what now Mm. what what am i what do i do with myself now what do i do with myself now what do i do with myself now And I think maybe it's that again. Maybe I'm not, and maybe we in general aren't used to being in that state where we're reclined, we're prone, we're relaxed. Mm-hmm. Usually, when we're doing that, we're either you know just doing it temporarily, like maybe you're doing vipassana. Or, 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 what's what's that yoga pose where you're lying down? I think that yoga is. I Nidra think that's it. Vipassana.
1: Yeah. Or corpse yeah. pose, is what I call um,
0: it. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. you're taking a nap or something like that. So, mm-hmm. so usually, usually once you're done with that kind of drowsy state and you reach a level of awareness, you're usually on with your day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're waking up from a nap and you're going to get up and do something. Mm-hmm. But So it was a unique experience for me to be totally relaxed, to be lying down, to be alert, and to have like half an hour to kill
1: basically. Right. Yes! I I and know exactly what you're talking about. It's a yeah, great feeling. Yeah, and
0: so I actually <laughs> flirted for a few minutes with feeling bored, right? Mm. Like, it was just kind of like, well, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And I think that question for me is the, is the most interesting question of floating, mm-hmm. is like, what do I do when I have absolutely nothing to do? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it it, I can't say that I reached any profound conclusions either. And and I've done it multiple times now, and I can't say that I've reached any profound conclusions. Mm. It kind of makes me wonder, like, if I had, like, big questions to tackle. Maybe if I was, like, the kind of person who solved problems for a living. Maybe if I was a mathematician Mm. working on theorems or, you know. I don't know, maybe if I was someone in need of breakthroughs or inspiration, that might be a really good environment in which to open Mm. myself to that.
1: I've never actually thought of that, but I've thought of it being an introspective space where if you Mm. wanted to think about or tackle some personal problems, that would be a really Mm -hmm. good place to do it um, without distraction. Especially if it has to do with, I mean, many of the psychological problems that we face that i face are problems of kind of personal narrative and attitude and the way that we frame things and so there's no better place to scrutinize that mental monologue of the world that we carry and that we perpetuate and that and the and define patterns in it and that's a little bit of what i did in there Um, but I also, I guess I went into like meditation mode too, where if I found, I, I found that if I wasn't thinking about anything really productive or interesting that I would just not, I would do my best to focus on my breath and just relax and kind of be in my Mm -hmm. body and not, you know, like notice thoughts, but not really feel any need to follow them. Um, cause I, I, you know, have a bunch of mundane thoughts that aren't really that interesting (laughs) and it's nice to like it's nice to not (laughs) have to deal with them (laughs) you know and like not elaborate on them and just kind of like let them go and and like focus on breathing and further relaxation um is kind of my default mode with that but um Mm. but also like I said the introspection I, I found myself thinking about kind of bigger themes in my life. Just like, what do I want, you know? And am I being true to that in life? Like, what are my deeper values? And, you know, am I am I really doing... Or do my actions reflect those? Uh, mm. It's a great place to do that kind of thinking.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, something that came up for me when you were describing your experience was... The distinction between active and passive meditation. Mm. And so uh, I don't know if this is something which you know has been discussed theologically or, or um, reflected upon. I'm sure it has. I'm, I'm sure great minds have considered this. Mm-hmm. But it's just now occurring to me.
1: Other great minds. That
0: <laughs> 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 We're doing it right now. <laughs> Um, it's, it's just now occurring to me this distinction between those two, and I think both have value, and it makes me think that um, if, if you want to draw an arbitrary spectrum between passive meditation and active meditation, mm-hmm. then it seems to me like various forms of meditation will exist somewhere along that spectrum,
1: so is floating for you an active form or a passive form of meditation?
0: Well, I I think it so far anyway, doing it, it has encouraged me towards passive meditation.
1: What does that mean exactly? Like active would be I'm intentionally putting myself in the corner in a cross legged position and I'm now meditating. Is that
0: Well or I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But I would the distinction I would make is that I think of active meditation as I am redirecting my attention to my breath, right? Mm, okay. Or like in Vipassana, right? There's, they, they take you through a system of, of like really sensing your body in very particular ways. Okay. Um, I think visualization or repeating a mantra, those are okay. all things that I would think of as active meditation as in like, sure. You know, you you assume a particular pose and you try your damnedest for a certain amount of time to do, usually it's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and when I think about passive meditation, I'm thinking about like just putting myself in the best possible state to become susceptible to uh, like no mind, right? That state of no mind. mm mm-hmm. Where I'm not trying to do anything and where I'm not trying to even think um, and Mm -hmm. just seeing what happens from there.
1: I would call that relaxation. Mm, Okay. Right? It's just like the whole point is just to totally relax. And I don't think that like meditation doesn't feel that way to me. You're right. Like when I meditate, I'm intentionally, I have a mental focus on my breath usually. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't done any like mantra meditation really, but which is different than just kind of letting go, right? Right.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. So maybe maybe what I'm describing then is is maybe I would call it total relaxation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where everything, including my conscious grasp on reality, has been relaxed mm-hmm. and. I think what's compelling to me is that I find it, I think like we've been discussing so far, I think it can be difficult to reach and sustain that state, right? It, because it's, it's kind of a, it's paradoxical, mm-hmm. right? Like to sit down with the intention of doing that, you're saying like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to intend to do nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that there's like various Zen Coens about that, um, you know, about about trying really hard to not try. Mm-hmm. But that state really interests me. I think, in general, I'm a lot more interested in what what my like quote unquote real experience is, or what my spontaneous experience is, than the experience I can corral myself into having, mm. and. I think I think that other people differ in that. I think some people really enjoy the practice of disciplining the mind, or uh, you know, mental exercises, or yeah, solving problems, crunching mm. numbers, um, getting very, very good at monitoring that breath. You know, um, some people really enjoy that, and for me, it's just not about that at mm-hmm. all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm curious to see what emerges.
1: Right, that's really interesting to hear about you actually just having known you for a while and Mm. knowing that you have some like spiritual practices in your life or getting some hint of that and then just seeing the way you approach that space is really cool um i like that Mm. yeah
0: yeah that's interesting yeah because i was i was raised being taught meditation and like a, what I would describe as a fairly active form of meditation, mm-hmm. uh, which you could—it's—it's it's not the same, but you could compare it to transcendental meditation, which most people know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps it's because I have that background that I am more interested in something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Okay. Because <laughs> it's not the orthodoxy of my childhood.
1: Yeah, and you actually probably have some baseline skills because of that. <laughs> maybe where it might not be as important for you to corral the mind with the particular focus, but like the, the moment to moment kind of meanderings of your mind might be more mindful, right. Based on, mm. on your upbringing and your training, I, I could say. Mm. Right. Whereas for me, I, I first started learning meditation in my late teens maybe or maybe mid teens or something. You know, it was pretty I actually kind of stumbled on it just with some personal you know, like listening to music and things like that and the kinds of like states I would fall into and then started learning that people could do this intentionally. And um you know, to this day I still have very mixed results from meditation. Sometimes I do enjoy I th- I think when I want to I, I primarily use it as a tool to calm myself down. Or to feel grounded, you know, like if I'm experiencing some anxiety or stress, then I'll use it that way. In those cases, it's helpful to divert my mind from its normal patterns by having some kind of strong focused. Yeah, I find that helpful, but also Mm. sometimes I enjoy, I'd say about half the time I actually do exactly what you're saying, which is I'll sit and kind of calm down and be intentional about it all. And then I'll just... I'll be a, if I follow thoughts, I'm at least very aware that I'm following them and I have kind of a purpose as to why. (laughs) Mm. Whereas like normal Mm -hmm. day-to-day stuff when I'm just, you know, washing dishes and things, I was just, I don't really think of my moment to moment thoughts that way as being intentional and having purpose. just like grambling, you know, (laughs) just kind of like one thing to another. So...
0: it's kind of dismaying, isn't it, when you really hone in on how out of control your mind is mm-hmm. and how much of your consciousness it dominates,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? When you put those two things together and you have this, and may, maybe even your emotional awareness as well, when you oh, think, totally. you know, God, my, my thoughts and my emotions, are, you know, they're crazy and, and what are they doing and they're steering my life, right? It yep. it's, can be a little... Um, disturbing really Mm -hmm. to hone in on that
1: it's disturbing but it's it's powerful if you Mm, if you become aware of it um and we'll we'll probably hear some of my conversation with melissa a friend here in town and we were talking about the way the way that she was talking about observing her thoughts and float or during a float session reminded me very much of cognitive behavioral therapy which is this Mm -hmm. whole like Approach Basically, it's, a, it's based on introspection and, and it's meant to treat anxiety and depression and to kind of do to regulate moods. And the ba- very basic premise really fast is that a lot of shitty moods that we get into where we feel depressed, upset, sad, angry, usually at ourselves. Usually those can be traced back to some thought that's repetitive and recurring. Um, Like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm never, no one likes me. I'm always going to be alone. And, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's like, mm-hmm. on the face of it, like, you might be thinking about a very particular thing. Like, well, I haven't, I've asked three people on a date in the last month and none of them have said yes. And so, of course, this is true. Of course, I'll always be alone. But the whole idea of cognitive behavioral therapy is is kind of recognizing the absurdity. They call them cognitive distortions. The idea is basically, you don't have to try to make some little temporary circumstance into this huge overarching truth about yourself <laughs> right. Mm. And because mm. it's very easy to despair about temporary and small failures, and the the point is to not do that <laughs> and to notice that you you know we end up sabotaging ourselves and our our happiness by kind of buying into these little narratives that are really easy to to, to like buy into and they're very insidious. And I think mm. that meditation and sensory deprivation tanks could be really helpful for people who are trying to get a better grasp on their mood and on patterns of anxiety. And I haven't, I haven't had as much experience with depression, but I, apparently it's supposed to work for that too. Yeah, that's a, it's like a really powerful, pretty easy to learn, um, tool, you know, that you don't really need any, anyone else to do anything. All right. Like I read a book about it and I feel like pretty proficient, um, with the technique, but anyway, that's a side, side kind of a, um, tangent, but it's definitely a tangent that strongly intersects, I think with the kind of mental space we encounter in the float mm. tank. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but as you were saying, you know, there's so much emotional stuff that we go through moment to moment and day to day that we usually, I feel like I just passively experience it. Like, oh, I'm in a, I'm in this mood. Now I'm in that mood. And being able to kind of find patterns and, and find a narrative and, and be able to see a cause and effect with thoughts and moods is super empowering. So,
0: mm. yeah. Definitely. Especially with this question of who am I, right? If let's say I, I regularly get angry, right? Does that mean that I am fundamentally an angry person? Or, or, you know, I, I frequently have anxious thoughts. Does that, you know, is that, does that have a basis in reality? Is that something for me to be anxious about? Mm, sure. Yeah. And so you know, I mean, these are deep questions people have been asking forever, but mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, I, I just, I think there is, I totally agree with you. There's so much value in just stopping and taking in what what you're thinking about taking mm-hmm. in what you're feeling about and just being like, wow, is this real, mm-hmm. right? Does this, does this have a basis in something? Mm-hmm. And if I can't readily find the basis of it, like, well, isn't that bizarre, right? <laughs> right. Isn't it? Isn't it strange that I'm like regularly in a state which is uncomfortable for me, or maybe uncomfortable for other people,
1: and I can't account for it?
0: Mm-hmm. Like that—that's that, that's quite profound.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think yeah. exactly. It's a great habit. Like, does this have a basis? <laughs> Do I need to be feeling this way? <laughs> sometimes you, it does have a basis. You know, sure. sometimes yeah, sure. anxiety is warranted. Sometimes stress is warranted. Sometimes you know anger is rarely is anger Mm. but sometimes it is and um even depression for me depression is a signal if i'm feeling unmotivated then it's a signal to me actually that i haven't been feeding my mind enough Mm. that i haven't found things to be motivated about and that i haven't been exploring enough um, and so then I know I need to like do more, and it's hard. It's hard to like get out of that and like find the initial energy to like start exploring things and get interested in things. But um, and they, you know, that's a whole nother topic. But yeah, I take I take those things as signals, and I if if there isn't a basis for it, then you try to like dismiss it and move on and take control. <laughs> yeah, as much as possible. I love it. Mm-hmm. Put it in the mind vice and crush it. <laughs> crush it <laughs> that's uh jack donahue <laughs>
0: So um, yeah, so was was there more about uh, sensory deprivation or float tanks that you wanted to get into before we wrap up?
1: Uh, yeah, yes, there is. Awesome. But also, I wanted to talk about the after effects of floating. So mm, sure. For you, how did you feel afterward? Yeah, uh, I just felt I felt relaxed.
0: Maybe like if I had done yoga and taken a bath. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I felt. Definitely. A little more experience of like spaciousness in my consciousness, maybe. Hmm. I did feel like there had, there was some additional like mental hygiene in it. Okay. So, yeah, very, a very pleasant feeling. Right. And
1: definitely feeling like it had been worth my time and my money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I felt the same. Basically the same. Super warm, kind of euphoric, really clear headed, energetic, but calm. Um, if, I felt awesome. It was the easiest way to put it. I just felt really good. I did it with a friend and we got out and went on a little walk and I was just super stoked. We, I like, didn't have to be doing anything in particular at that point. It's just, you know, kind of being alive and walking around in my body and enjoying my senses anew. It felt wonderful. Um, And it's, you know, something I should mention is I had a pretty, like, anxious couple of days leading up to it. Just some, like, basically relationship baggage stuff came up for me and was really just having a cruddy couple of days when I went into the tank. And I did the float, not really, like, planning on processing through that. And I didn't really, like, process through it more than just kind of choosing to let it go. And kind of move on in my head and it worked really well (laughs) it was really wonderful um so i actually would love to do it more we haven't talked about price yet and that's kind of Mm. i I know i asked you before you know if you and you said you would do it more often if it was cheaper and i feel the exact same way because it's about 60 i think it's 65 dollars for a 90 minute session yeah and then in some
0: places or cities, it might be more like eighty or even a hundred dollars a session. Mm. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I, in in my experience, sessions typically last maybe forty five minutes or an hour.
1: Mm. So to, in town here, might be a pretty good deal. It sounds like. yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. so.
0: I mean, I mean, I was paying big city prices, you know. So mm-hmm. it probably depends on on where you are and what the demand and supply is like. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would love to do it like twice a month. That would be my ideal rate, maybe once a month, but definitely felt some lasting. I I felt good for a couple of days afterward, just a little Mm, bit clearer, more energetic, less anxious than usual. Speaking of that, there are studies. Let's just get into some of the studies on this. And that is one of the main beneficial effects that people have been able to quantify is a reduction in anxiety and stress um especially on an acute level which makes sense i don't really see how this would like rewire anyone long term but you know if it kind of like switches your phase for a couple to a few days and kind of breaks a pattern that's a really beneficial tool mhm most of it's you know they would ask people before going in the tank how they felt and there's various ways various questionnaires that assess this kind of thing and then when they came out you know how they felt and they were dramatic very like demonstrable effects on their state of anxiety and relaxation and just sense of well-being. So maybe what I want to point out is that when I went into it, I was thinking of this like, ooh, like I'm going to explore consciousness. It's psychedelia like thing. And when I came out, I saw it as more of a therapy tool. <laughs> it's just like um, another thing in the toolkit to kind of deal with life and moderate our minds. Yeah, I, I second that. I mean, mm-hmm.
0: I feel like I would definitely add it to a well-rounded regimen of self-care, mm-hmm. you know, like um, like maybe getting a massage and going to a talk therapist and, you know, hitting the float tank. Mm-hmm. And It's just like one of those things that I would consider doing to just increase my overall sense of
1: well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, real Um as well, some of the other effects are that it, it decreases blood pressure, heart rate, and plasma cortisol, and I think cortisol is related to stress, just a mm-hmm. compound they can measure in the blood. One more kind of interesting thing was they saw that the correlation between mindfulness and daily life and the degree of altered states of consciousness during the float was highly correlated. So... And I'm not sure if that means mindfulness in daily life, like beforehand, like if they find people who are like a little more mindful than others, and then see if apparently they were more likely to enter these kinds of altered states of consciousness in the tank, um, which I find really interesting. That's something I might want to explore, you know, further on as as I try this more, which I hopefully do. I want to switch gears a little bit and mention, I don't want to dive into this stuff too much because for the most part all of the things I've seen and people's experiences have been really positive, there's this dark side to it where people have used it as a form of torture, namely oh geez. the United States government. And there was a man arrested in New York City in the 2000s, and he was sentenced for a pretty long time, but they had him in holding. Uh, he was sentenced to like 17 years or so. And while he was in holding and being interrogated. He was arrested for some kind of terror plot. And one of the things they did was they put him in a cell that was 9 by 7 feet for 1,300 days, a little over 1,300 days with no natural light, oh clock, or calendar. So that's like, that's like four
0: years, right?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Now, they say no natural light. I'm not sure if it had any light in there. Um, I've heard of other forms of this torture where, th- th- by the way, this whole class of torture is called white torture. And so it's, they're not like waterboarding people and they're not doing anything that might leave marks, but it's a form of psychological torture. And it could be even like solitary confinement could be a, f- a form of white torture. Another form is when they put you in a white room and have a have padding around it, which dampens sound. And even like the guards who might walk around in the area would have padded shoes so it's not creating sound and it's just wild what this does to people so yeah this like you said um this was basically four years he was in this cell and they've also fitted him with heavy goggles and headphones so he couldn't see or hear things normally and he lost his shit. Like, and, and people have done studies where they try to do sensory deprivation for, you know, weeks and people will drop out after a couple of days. It's sometimes just <laughs> oh 24 gosh. hours because yeah. it's, we're just not used to anything like that. I mean, the closest, I would say sleep is close, but sleep is just different. Like you, the conscious mind is used to stimulation and it guides the mind in many ways and, can, and feeds it. And without that, people can, the the mind kind of feeds on itself, right? It can, it seems to develop its own narratives. Like this guy had become convinced that his lawyers who who were helping him, were trying to, were part of a continuing interrogation program. And the people, his captors, his guards, he actually saw them as his protectors. (laughs) So like his whole trial is just shot and- they tried they went back and forth for a while whether or not he was mentally fit to stand trial and i i think they decided he was but he and i'm not sure if this man had issues beforehand but m- mental issues that is but i i don't think it helps i know that people who who do tend toward maybe hallucinations and things will will get into those states much more quickly um when they're in this kind of environment but yeah his his lawyers when they would meet with him were observing facial tics and random eye movements and un- unusual contortions of his body this is so 1984 right to me it's just it's one thing if if we find if if there's someone who's committed a crime then we want to isolate them from society right but this goes a step beyond that and it says not only are we going to make you not a member of society and isolate you from other people, but we're going to isolate you from shared reality as well. You're mm, Right. You're, we're going to strip you of your sanity. You will no longer even belong to our shared reality, which is just insanely, like, what an insanely powerful tool. And, so, and it's one that should not be used by a state mm. or any other I body. Agree. It's it's, disgusting.
0: It's a really existential form of torture, I think. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, totally disgusting side to this. And, um, yeah, we don't need to dwell on that anymore. There have been some miscellaneous accidents um, with with tanks as well. Um, So an older woman fell and hit her head. It was an accident. She ended up drowning in a tank. And then other people have died. Oh, no. One guy recently is last year in 2018. His name was Aaron Trawick. And he was um kind of a, what do they call these guys? Like a biohacker? Mm, right. And growing he, trend right now. Yeah, he owned a company called Ascendix Biomedical. And he's, he'd done some other, this wasn't a stunt, but he had done some stunts where he would, like, inoculate himself on stage with, like, a herpes vaccine that was developed by biohackers and things like this but he ended up dying in a tank um he was using ketamine in one i don't know a lot about ketamine but some some kind of like they use it as an anesthetic or not anesthetic like a
0: tranquilizer exactly
1: yeah and so yeah that just sounds like like bad news and I, i you know it induces some kind of either like unconsciousness or paralysis or both and he ended up drowning in a tank Um, so that's the main danger is like, if there's any, you know, like the walk-in tank has more of a danger like that. Um, actually when I tried to get out of my tank, I was like turned around and I had to search around the first wall I felt, I thought the door was going to be on and it wasn't. And I went counterclockwise around the room. And finally on the last wall, (laughs) I found the door, (laughs) Wow! but I was so like in such a good mood at that point. I was just like giggling about the whole thing. It was fun, but (laughs) You know if like someone got up tried to like just say stand up in the dark without holding a wall it might be easy to fall over um and bang your head or something but like this is whatever i'm not i don't this isn't dangerous (laughs) yeah (laughs) these aren't really dangerous things um well this is what we find it's
0: almost like our last episode about kratom it's like as long as you're just doing the thing and you're not trying to, to profoundly alter your body or your consciousness in any other way while you're doing it, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's it's when you start mixing your you know mi- mixing your substances that's when you need to be careful.
1: Totally. Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: I think that that's uh, yeah, that's the floating.
1: That's the floating. Go float, everybody. Try it out
0: yeah um i just one one final thing i wanted to reflect upon which is interesting is that i've noticed whenever i float that the water feels slimy almost Uh like slippery Mm -hmm. and i think it's the result of it having so much salt dissolved in it Mm -hmm. so it's it's you kind of have to watch out. Like you, you can actually. It doesn't surprise me that that woman slipped and hit her head because it is kind of slippery mm-hmm. water.
1: Yeah, I was being pretty careful because I felt that way too. Actually, yeah. so yeah. And
0: and another thing I would recommend if you float, first of all, make sure that you're wearing waterproof earplugs. Um, just about any responsible float place should provide you with some. Mm-hmm. But yeah. just make sure that you do have your ears plugged up because the, the you'll notice like even while I was lying there, the salt would actually be crystallizing on the dry parts of my skin that were exposed.
1: Yeah. I yep. Yeah, when I brushed so, off getting out, it was like there was some crystal <laughs> there was crystallized salt on me. But like you exactly. said, like a, a well-provisioned place, like any the any float place you're gonna you're gonna go to is gonna have a shower. So you're gonna shower before you right. get in. They're gonna have earplugs for you, you put those in. Um, you get out, you shower and rinse off, and so it's really, it would suck to have to go home and <laughs> after you've been sitting in salt oh, water. Man. It, but yeah. I don't. It'd I've terrible. never heard of I that. Mean, like it's pretty much you always pair these things yeah. with showers. Yeah.
0: Right. So yeah, definitely got a shower right afterwards. And Did then you the do last it naked? Was, by the way. Say again. Did you go in naked? Yes. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Okay. Me too. I was just yeah. Of course, for like the promotional photography, everyone's always in like a swimsuit, but I think the the custom is to just go in nude.
0: Yeah, again, you know, if you wore any clothes in, um, I would highly recommend giving them like a really solid rinse in water Mm -hmm. before you leave. Cause otherwise, that's just going to be like a shedding mass of salt crystals. Mm hmm. I mean, it's hard to convey how much salt is in these. A lot of these places, like a lot of the tanks, will have over a thousand pounds of salt in the tank. Yep. So,
1: which is, is one of the most expensive parts of putting one of these together, by the way. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. That's so much salt, man. A thousand mm-hmm. pounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like a, you know, that's like a cow. It's like you took a cow made of salt <laughs> and you just dumped it in. And these tanks, they're big, but they're not that big. You know, it's not like a pool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of salt. Right. Um, so yeah, if if you do go float, make sure um, if if any water gets in your eye, just it, it, it's good to have like a rag or something next to the tank that you can wipe your face off with because what you might be tempted to do like you would do in regular water is like reach up and, and wipe the water out of your eye. Not going to work in the float tank yeah. because you're going to put salty water right on your eye and it's only going to make things worse. Yeah.
1: I can, I can concur with this. Um, you, you actually <laughs> gave me this advice right before I went in Yeah, and I was doing, I was being careful, but I got up cause I'd left the light on outside of the room on. So there's like the, mm. there's like the first room you go into that has the shower and then there's the second like float room. And I I left the lights on out there and the door to the float room wasn't sealed well enough to keep all of the light out. So I was like, oh, that's annoying. Like, I'll just get up and turn that off. So I got up, I go out and I turn off the lights in the outer room. But when I stood vertical, the water from my hair kind of drained down pr- the sides of my face <laughs> and got into one of my eyes. And I didn't think it was a big deal, but I got back in the tank and it started burning. So I had to get up a second time and go out and kind of like blot my eye with a towel and then get back in. And that's like, it's not a big deal. It's not like you're ruining the experience by having to get up, especially if you do a 90-minute session. It's like just part of settling in. And um, it actually Mm -hmm. was kind of empowering Mm -hmm. to know that I could just like get up anytime and like leave the tank if I wanted to, to to do whatever I needed to do. So, right. mm -hmm. Yeah. But
0: yeah, I would highly recommend floating to, to anyone who wants a new experience or especially to anyone who wants a new way to relax. I think, uh, I think it's something that a lot of people could benefit from. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's just a great way to get to know yourself mm-hmm. and, and see who you are.
1: Absolutely. 100%. Thanks for talking to me, Arjuna.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys for listening at home. And we would love to, if any of you have thoughts, our experiences about floating, leave them in our Discord. All right. Sweet. Goodbye. Ciao. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Listening Glass. If you've enjoyed this show, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends and on social media. Your word of mouth means a lot to us and is a way you can help our humble podcast grow. Find us on our Twitter handle, at Listening Glass. You can leave feedback there or by emailing us at listeningglasscast at gmail.com. Join the ongoing discussion in our community by joining our Discord server, linked in our episode description.
1: This episode features the track This and Sita by Mac Woodruff, the track Dr. Bocha, Penguin Dentist by Kneebody, and the track Lipton Service Boy by Aero Johannes. We're incredibly grateful to these artists for letting us feature their work. Find information about them in the episode description. Special thanks to friends Melissa Heaven and Alana Peters for talking with me, and also to Ankush Vimawala of Float Om and Eugene, who is very gracious in talking to me about his float tank business in Eugene, Oregon.